You're listening to Design Tomorrow. All I need is a sheet of paper and something to write with. And then I can turn the world upside down. Those, of course, are the words of the philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche. Now, if that kind of power could be attributed to the words on a page, imagine the power of words when the paper and the pen are everywhere. I could go through the stats, the number of articles, of posts, of tweets, of comments, of texts that we write every day. But I probably don't need to. We all know it's a lot. Like a mind-boggling number. And that's what often leads us to assume that therefore our words matter less. And that's not an unintuitive conclusion that anything we write is just a tiny drop in a constantly churning sea of information. That no matter how interesting or intelligent or important it is, it will simply be swallowed up and sink to the bottom before it's seen and understood. That there simply isn't enough time to catch those things before they are out of reach, not to mention time to read them fully, process them, understand them. We believe that when it comes to words, the law of supply and demand applies. The more words there are, the less any of them are worth. But that is not true. We've all heard a story or two of someone whose words went viral, often to no good end, for them or their readers. It's kind of like a reverse lottery. Someone carelessly posts something on the internet and then comes to regret it later because lots of people took it more seriously than they did. Sometimes when this happens, people's lives are changed permanently. And they learn the lesson that words do matter. But cautionary tales like that are not the only proofs for the enduring value of words, even when text is cheap. Today, I want to tell you a story about words that were said carefully and endured. I want to share with you how my life was changed by just a few words said quickly, but words that I will never forget. Too often, we think of the word design as a shorthand for an ecosystem of mostly visual phenomena. But words play an enormous, though often unseen, role in the creation of everything. And meanwhile, in the world in which we live and work and create, wars of words are waged every day, publicly, creating a whole new layer of semantic chaos that erodes our boundaries and strips our discourse of its questions, its kindnesses, its subtleties. It seems that too many have come to believe that the only way to be heard is to hurt. But words can do so much more than that. And that's why I want to spend today thinking about them. You're listening to Design Tomorrow. I'm Chris Butler. Stay tuned. Design Tomorrow is a podcast about design technology, and being human, which, admittedly, is a lot to be about. 
But in all things, we hope to grow in our awareness that what we do and think today can create a better tomorrow. You can follow the show on Twitter at Design Tomorrow. Just leave all the vowels out. That's at D-S-G-N-T-M-R-R-W. You can also visit the show's website at designtomorrow.co. And if you want to get in touch directly, you can email me at chris at designtomorrow.co. I'd love to hear from you. And now, let's get back to the show. When I was six years old, my father remarried. At that age, it made sense to me that my new stepmother would want to be a part of my life, but I didn't expect to be welcomed into her family, too. To them, I figured I'd be my dad's kid, not their nephew or their cousin or their grandchild. But I remember the day we drove from Boston to Michigan to meet my new grandparents for the first time and how they stood outside of the door of their home, and as we pulled into their driveway, their arms were wide with welcome. My new grandmother was at the center of that family, and over the next decade, I would spend a lot of time with her, most holidays and every summer. Over the summers, she'd plan vacations for the entire extended Michigan family. She'd find a house on a lake somewhere, and we'd all caravan up there together and stay for a week. She'd plan activities, especially for the four big kids, me, my older sister, and our two cousins. She taught us crafts, took us beachcombing. She gave us little history lessons all the time. She gave us a huge amount of attention, and that's how she expressed love, through quality time. And I'd never had a grandparent build their day completely around that, around prioritizing time spent with children more than half a century younger. My grandmother was also a very patriotic woman. And to give you an idea of what I mean by that, on those summer visits in Michigan, we'd often spend the 4th of July at her house. And before we were allowed to do anything that day, she'd gather the kids first thing in the morning in our pajamas to stand outside her front doorstep hands over our hearts to recite the Pledge of Allegiance under the American flag mounted to her house. Now she had always wanted to visit the capital with her family. So one summer when I was 15 years old, she found a house outside of Washington, D.C. And as usual, all of us, the whole family, which had grown to about 18 people at that point, stayed there together. As was also pretty typical on these trips, certain responsibilities fell on certain people. My grandmother was in charge of activities. My stepmom was usually her right hand, making sure we all did more than just hang around the house. And my dad, well, he did a lot of the cooking and cleaning. Now one evening for dinner, he made hamburgers for everyone. And my stepmother's youngest brother complained that they were undercooked. Based upon how most people I know prefer their burgers today, They probably weren't, but nevertheless, he wouldn't let it go. And my dad, 
who normally avoids conflict, eventually had enough. The argument flared up and kind of reached a boiling point when my uncle screamed that my dad was a murderer. A murderer whose weapon was E. coli-tainted beef. Now, the burgers were fine, and I'm sure my dad said some equally ridiculous things, as we all do when we're upset. But then, my grandmother got involved to defend her youngest son. She said awful things, too. Eventually, my dad had really, really had it, and he stormed out. He said he was going to drive to New York to see his parents. He was leaving the vacation. Now, this was a big deal. Nobody had ever bailed on the family vacation. Throughout this fight, I was sitting on the steps of the main stairway in the hall outside the kitchen, listening. I'm not sure where everyone else had gone, but I imagined many other solitary outposts throughout the house from which we could all hear when my dad announced his departure and when my grandmother shouted after him, Good! and take your pompous older kids with you. That meant me and my older sister. It was a strange thing to say, pompous, about teenagers, but she made her point. She was drawing a distinction between me and my older sister, kids from another place, born of a different mother, and her other grandchildren. It was a point that landed on me a few rooms away, unseen to her, of course, and it was a point that obviously landed on my dad. Now, by that age, I'd been witness to plenty of family drama, but that one sentence in particular felt like such a betrayal. I'd spent the last nine years accepting my part in this family, accepting their acceptance of me, despite our many differences, never feeling entitled to it, nor especially worthy, I should note, only to hear that no, I was not welcome. I was not them. I sat there a while longer, keeping that still, stoic face I'd learned well by then, while confusion, sadness, and anger boiled inside me. But then my uncle sat down next to me. Not the one who picked the fight with my dad, but another one, my stepmother's oldest brother, He was a big guy, a man's man. Tall, mustache, high school football star, corporate salesman, hunter. He was a man of few words. But he looked at me straight in the eye, and he said, What my mom said just now was wrong. I love you. You are a part of this family. I will never forget that moment. Not just because he comforted me and brought a little healing to the betrayal I felt, but because that was the first time anyone other than my parents said that they loved me. He didn't know that. And none of us knew that just a year later, my grandmother would be dead. I was able to talk to her about this event before she passed away, I know she said things she didn't mean, and I know she regretted them. Her passing didn't keep us from mending, but it did keep us from making many more new memories with which to bury the old ones. But, as hurtful as her words were to me then, 
that day when I was 15, they didn't last. My uncle's words did. I can close my eyes at this very moment and see the hallway in which we sat. I can see his face. I can hear his words. I love you. I don't know if he remembers this day like I do. Perhaps he does, but I suspect not. I suspect this was just one of many seeds of kindness he scattered around him throughout his entire life. Now, he's no saint. He's just a man. But he's a man who cares. Whether he knows it or not, he taught me the most valuable lesson I continue to learn in this life. Words matter. And we don't get to decide which ones stick in the hearts and minds of those around us. We only get to decide what we say. We will probably never be able to stop every hurtful word from escaping our mouths. We're all human after all, and none of us is perfect. But we can ensure that those hurtful words are merely drops in a sea of kindness. That is within our power. Well, friends, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Design Tomorrow. If you did, find the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and give it a rating and a review. And I mean it when I say I welcome your review, positive or negative. I'm more than open to your feedback. I'm eager to hear it. I'm back after a few weeks of break, and I'll be honest with you. I had a different episode with a different topic ready to go for today, but while I was away, this theme kept coming up again and again for me. This theme of the power of our words, whether intended or not. And amidst all the other words that clamor for our attention every day, the words of politics, of commerce, of entertainment, of business, and all the different perspectives on what should be said and how, I kept thinking about this one small thing that had happened to me, that set me on a different course. Whenever I feel the need to reset my own voice, to quiet it, to cool it down, it's that moment with my uncle that comes to mind. I hope you have a similar story. Not of family drama, of course, but of a time in which someone's words changed you and your life for the better. But whether you do or not, you can give that to someone else. Every day, you have dozens of chances. And if you take them, you not only sow lifelong seeds in others, but you enrich yourself. Your words are a reflection of an inner reality. And yet, that reality is also determined by your words. So remember, what you say today can create a better tomorrow. I'll see you then.